0: To all things green, I'm Shelby here with my co-host Anton to discuss a variety of topics from across the sustainability universe. Anton, how are you today?
1: I'm doing wonderfully. I'm yeah. glad to
0: hear that. Yeah. Uh, it, I do think that you've dried off a little when you got here today. You were you were a little damp.
1: Yes, uh, I biked in the rain. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, Biking never stops, I guess.
0: Yeah, tell me more about that. Have you been bike like a bike commuter for a while?
1: Yeah, I have been. Ever since I moved to the city of Cleveland, things yeah. have just been closer and I've been just trying to drive less.
0: I think that's great. Do you Thank live you. close enough that that's like an easy bike for you or
1: Um, I really kinda I hauled I hauled it. I really <laughs> busted my butt today and I got here in twenty minutes, which was actually record time, so
0: that's great. I yeah. probably should get a bike, but I have to admit that I kind of didn't really learn to ride one as a kid like a little bit I know does that feel wild I'm 29 years old and I basically can't ride a bike I can get on it but I do feel like I look like a newborn gazelle who's like still learning how to like walk on their (laughs) legs um but I know that it'd be like a greener way for me to commute and I'm moving into the city I live kind of in um like a really, really outer ring suburb right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe that's something you can teach me along the way.
1: How yeah, to,
0: 100%. <laughs> how to be a competent
1: uh, bike commuter. Birds and biking, it's the best thing. You just go down that towpath, the the metro parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just a lot of fun, you know?
0: Well, I've been doing a lot of walking on the towpath, and uh, maybe there's a way that I can be a just a f- on-foot commuter. But... Um, <laughs> When it rains, it also makes me think about a segment that we did a while ago about your garden and your rain barrels. So I just wanted to check in on how they're doing and how your native plants are doing.
1: Yeah, they're all good. Uh, We have the rain barrels that are kind of filling up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, If people know from last episodes, uh, I have rain barrels that my downspouts flow into. When those rain barrels actually fill up, I have like a little diverter that puts it back into the the downspout so that I don't have just like a mess of water near the foundation of my home. So it's kind of like a backup if it gets too rainy.
0: I love that. Well, if you had uh, too much water going on, that might be an environmental violation, which is a pretty (laughs) bad segue to our first segment, I think. Are you ready to get into it today? I would love to. Okay. So I have to say right off the bat that this first segment is going to start as like a little bit of a bummer, but I need you to just hold on to the end because I think it's going to get better. Does that feel okay? Yeah, I can do that. (laughs) Okay, so my first story comes from Inside Climate News um, in conjunction with reporting from the Texas Tribune. Have you ever heard of the Texas Tribune before? I haven't. You know, I lived in Texas for five yeah. years, yeah. loved it. Um, and the Texas Tribune is like this wonderful nonprofit uh, news source. Oh, it's nonprofit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they're really cool. I went to their conference a couple of times down there and um, they, they bring in such a variety of different kinds of uh, statewide sort of really locally driven news. So I love to see that they partnered with Inside Climate News. We use Inside Climate a lot because they do global news stories but I like yeah. the
1: local focus there. I love a local reporting outlet. Me too. Yeah.
0: So this story comes from both those news sources, and they were covering the introduction of Senate Bill 471 in the Texas Senate by a Republican senator called Drew Springer. Okay. He's from a really small town in the northernmost part of Texas, like north of Dallas, almost on the border with Oklahoma. Yeah. Anyone who's unfamiliar with Texas, this area is pretty rural. There's a lot of industry in those types of areas of okay. Texas. Uh, It's not exactly West Texas what we think of when we think of like oil and gas, but it it is a more rural area, definitely outside of the the major cities, not even like a suburb. So this senator, who of course takes a lot of donations from companies like oil and gas companies, Mm, mm -hmm. uh, is proposing a new bill that would make uh, citizens, it would cause citizens to be fined if they make more than three complaints about some kind of environmental hazard to the Texas Environmental Quality Commission, um, which essentially means that if you complain three times and then they don't do anything about it because they either don't get around to it or they don't find a violation, uh, you're in trouble for that. So how does that strike you?
1: I mean, that makes that makes no sense to me. Yeah. Our, our state agencies and our Uh, environmental agencies, they're here to serve us. We pay taxes to them. We have every right to tell them if people are in danger, if communities are unhealthy and unwell. So that makes no sense to me.
0: I feel the same way. I feel like it really... Disempowers residents who, really, as you said, are paying for these services. They're funding the agencies, and the agencies are supposed to serve us back. And so, you know, actually, someone who used to work for that agency was um, quoted in the story, essentially saying, "You know, it's not residents' fault if the commission isn't doing their job. If they're not getting around to seeing all these complaints, sometimes it takes weeks or months to come back to residents after they make complaints, if they come back at all. And by then, Mm -hmm. problems change or They've kind of gone away naturally, or you can't see it in the same way that you could before. So, even if you make a complaint and then they come out and say, Well, you know, this doesn't look like what you said, that's kind of not your fault as the resident. At least 100%. that's how I feel. And I know that you have to do some of this, like lobbying and communicating. So, what's that like? I mean, we're talking about Texas here, but in Ohio, how long does it take you to get word back when you're reporting this kind of violation?
1: Yeah. So working for the Buckeye Environmental Network, we deal a lot with Ohio Department of Health, Ohio Department of Natural Resources, and Ohio EPA. And it could take a while to actually get response back from these state agencies. We often have to hound them um, in our, our demands. Of course, not aggressive, but assertive. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these state agencies, they they seem to not really wanna hear these complaints all the time yeah. or, or maybe that's just the appearance. Um, it takes much more than just once or twice or even three times to, to get a response in most cases.
0: Yeah, um, so that's that's the bummer part, is that there is, you know, a representative of the people saying, "Well, I don't want you to have this power to continue to complain. To put it into context, their side of the story is that residents are able to abuse the system. You know, they quoted this woman who had reported in 28 times about the same issue. and I mean, my initial response to that is, wow, she must care a lot about this issue to have taken 28 times. I mean, yeah. you just said it takes your organization, which is built by professionals yeah. and is, people are being paid to do this work, yeah. lots of effort to get through, whereas this is just a regular old citizen. I mean, can you imagine how hard that must be?
1: Yeah. The, it, expending that much energy, it's it's exhausting for a resident who just wants to make sure that they are healthy and that their community is well. Um if, if they're going to get fined after three times, I would just say get your neighbors together and get them to call too. you know, start, start almost like a, a community group or like a grassroots type of organizing to make sure that this gets pushed through and that you're not ignored.
0: Yeah. I mean, we said we'd start with a bummer and then it would get better. So you totally took it that direction. Like what's I'm the trying. the climate optimism that we're going for? So yeah, yeah you talked about organizing, uh, but we also talked about the fact that residents aren't always as well resourced as an organization yeah. like Buckeye Environmental Network. But right. I know Texas isn't your focus, but do you know, like does your organization help communities rally and organize in that way so that maybe we know that's a model Texas can build on?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I hope that there is like a similar organization in Texas we, as the Buckeye Environmental Network, also known as BEN, I could just refer to it as Ben. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, BEN trains community, uh, community members, people who are interested or maybe just upset and frustrated. We train them on how to uh, talk to state agencies, how to talk to their council people, go to public meetings, and present a, a case and a way forward so that their community is kept safe.
0: I love that. Yeah. yeah.
1: In um, Belmont County, Ohio in specific, there was a toxic radioactive waste facility and some of the waste was getting tracked outside the facility. So we actually worked with uh, uh, members of a local bike shop that wanted to make sure that their roads were safe and uh, yeah, the rest is history.
0: I love that. So it sounds like when we're talking about solutions, residents can always make sure they're registered to vote, contact their representatives on their own, those are both real things that you can yeah. do, but it's yeah. even more powerful and will come together. Yes. So we will try to do a little research and see if there's anything like this in Texas that maybe people can call on. Yeah. Also, just a reminder that this hasn't passed yet. So just because something has been presented in the on the Senate floor doesn't mean that it's going to pass. So it's a great time for Texans to be contacting their representatives. I also just want to end on yeah. letting people know how powerful residents can be by, um, quoting the research of a professor of economics at the University of Texas at Austin. Her name is Dr. Mary Evans, Mm. and she looked at complaints um, and investigations from the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, which is the organization we've been talking about here, um, over a 10-year period to see the resolution status of these things. When a resident lodged a complaint, it was four times more likely to result in an investigation that found a violation than something that the commission found on their own or Uh, was reported by a business or by really any other entity.
1: That's encouraging.
0: I think so too. Residents are noticing things because they live there. They're a part of the community. They see the changes in real time and have a vested interest in it. So yeah, there's hope here. Mm -hmm. This isn't a law. It's just a proposal. It doesn't mean it's not serious, um, but but there's there's stuff to be done. So I'm glad you shared a little perspective on ways that people could do that.
1: Yeah, 100. And I'm really excited to get into our next article. Also, yeah, me too. Um, it's it's also about grassroots organizing. Um, but let me give you some context first. Inside Climate News uh, wrote an article about advanced recycling, and I want to make sure that I uh, put it in air quotes okay. even for those people who are just listening and not watching. <laughs> Um, advanced recycling where we basically burn plastic and we turn that we use fuel to burn plastic okay. to turn it into oil to use oil to ship it down to Texas to be sold as oil so oh. that was that was a lot but basically um, <laughs> this isn't advanced recycling at all there's there's these plastic burning plants popping up all over um, Ohio in particular but other places as well um, where, Companies are greenwashing, saying that their plastic that they are burning and repurposing, um, turning it back into oil, is going to solve our plastic problem. It's just not the case.
0: Yeah, it just sounds Um, like another case of greenwashing to me. Oh, look, this thing is more environmentally friendly, but doesn't really sound like it in practice. Exactly.
1: And one of the big problems is companies are effectively greenwashing this and getting... uh, grants from like federal government for like green energy Mm. so these are these are like government subsidized trash burning plants in low-income communities of course um they are allowed to reduce tons and tons of emissions every year and there's really no way of monitoring whether or not they're following these guidelines i have read these permits of how much uh, chemicals they can release each year Mm. and Literally, the permit says that an EPA person will come out and they will just look at the smokestack. If it's like a weird color or something or a weird smell, then maybe there's a reason to investigate. But there's absolutely nothing stopping these companies from just releasing their admissions at night or something.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you do a good job for the hour that somebody's there and then you can do whatever you want. And even just, listen, caveat here that I'm not an expert on this, but... I, I imagine there's probably a lot more to it than just the color or the smell. Yeah. That seems very nonspecific to yeah. be able to realize that there's a problem. 100%.
1: Why, can
0: I ask, sorry, why are they yeah. calling it advanced recycling? Like what's the, what are they saying that it is? Like why is it considered yeah. recycling?
1: Well, the whole, the whole idea that they are burning these plastics and turning it into oil, like mm. something like that you would make more plastics with or... Uh, maybe like uh, using it as a fuel to burn more plastics. Yeah. Um, just just the fact that they are repurposing this, even though it's not a healthy way of emitting toxins into a community. Yeah. They're they're labeling it as recycling, and this Got is it. this is just industry speak, right? This is not reality. Right. Um, we have a community in Youngstown who is currently going through uh, one of these trash burning plants, and they're saying. They're intimidating one of the citizen groups, saying, you can't use the word burn. You have to use the word superheating. Oh, sure. And, yeah, and, and this is this is all industry speak, because everybody knows that when you break down these hydrocarbons, you're going to get a release of oxygen, and that mm-hmm. oxygen is going to have these materials combust. Like, there's going to catch fire. There's going to be an explosion. Um, and it honestly takes only one bad day for these plants to Catch fire and completely destroy a community. We're talking like an East Palestine type of catastrophe with yeah. all these dioxins and horrible chemicals being released into the community.
0: Mm-hmm. It, this all sounds pretty terrible. Are we yeah. doing just two terrible segments in a row, or is this one going to turn itself yeah. around just like the last one did?
1: Well, um, I would I would say that. There is, there is a bright side. These communities that are organizing, Buckeye Environmental Network is organizing, and we're having some pushback. Like when residents do come together and they bug their council people or their trustees and they say, we don't want this facility in here, we know it's bad, it's going to affect our health, we already are at a high risk of cancer, we can't have more of this. Um, those conversations, those dialogues, and that uh, community pushback really is effective. So I'm I'm happy to give you more updates in the future. Yeah, please. Um I would love to keep you updated on the Youngstown plant and there's there's other plants going in too, so Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I I look forward with vested interest to hearing more about this. It really feels like another instance of like this thing that can make us money is actually great for the environment because that is a more marketable message than just uh, use the stuff you already have. Yeah. Buy less plastic in the first place. And we're not perfect. I've got a plastic pen sitting here on the desk, but I'm going to use it as long as I can possibly get it to yeah. work. Um, so thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, yeah, absolutely. you want to move on to uh, talking about uh, what we do for a living? Yeah. Okay. Um, so here for our last segment, I want to talk about green careers. So I have to ask, like, what's, what do you think of when I say, oh, you know, you're working in a green career? Like, what's that career look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's really, it comes down to the advocacy and the community organizing. Mm-hmm. I don't have a degree in environmental science or biology even or chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I use the skills that I have done to still further the environmental causes.
0: Yeah. I uh, read a report from a company called Lightcast. They're a labor market analytics group, and they were looking at the growing demand for what they call, quote, green jobs. Mm. I don't think they made that term up, but I'm just attributing okay. it to them for here. Sure. Um, so their, their labeling, their definition of green jobs is up more than 50% since 2019. So that's really just like a three or four year uh, time period. And there are a couple of different ways that they break down green jobs that I thought was really interesting. I also think your response is interesting and that's probably because you work in this field that you think <laughs> that you think of a green job as like your job doing advocacy, doing yeah. community organizing. Whereas for me, like the first thought that comes to my head is like, I'm an environmental scientist or yeah. like I'm a, an environmental engineer. Yeah, That's what I think of like someone who has to have um, like crazy credentials and I'm so glad those people exist, but not everybody's going to, find themselves at home 100%. you know, in a hardcore science career or technology yeah. career those kinds of jobs that come to mind for me are what this organization is going to call core green jobs. Mm. They're involved in the direct conservation work, forestry, yeah. doing environmental protection, like someone whose job is 100% about directly impacting conservation. Yeah. But it sounds like that's not your job with with Ben, right?
1: No, it's not. <laughs> cool. And actually I would I would like to speak to maybe yeah. um I I thought after I had gone through, got my degree in history, (laughs) um, got my master's in public administration, which is like a a public policy degree, I was like, oh no, am I going to have to go back to school for like civil engineering or like environmental science to work on these stormwater issues that I want to work on? Mm -hmm. And eventually I kind of just found a way to uh, wiggle my way into a green career Mm -hmm. um, using the skills that I've had, Um, advocacy, talking to Uh, state agencies and working with communities to further progress on the environmental side, whether it's getting rid of, like, uh, bad facilities like these trash-burning plants that we talked about or protecting communities from fracking waste. Like, these are all things that you can do without an environmental science degree.
0: Yeah, and and from conversations we've had before, correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't even – you didn't even start in that because you were, like, gung-ho on doing environmental work. You – from what you told me were' interested in like politics, yeah, and then you found out that wastewater was a huge deal in your community, where, yeah where you were growing up, and that became like a mechanism that built this environmental interest, so the skills yes. you built weren't what I think of as green skills, is that right
1: yeah, one hundred percent, and honestly um, it take it took me from uh, being a Electoral politics organizer, kind of like somebody who works on campaigns, right. works with volunteers. Uh, that experience was very valuable. Not every organization maybe values the political organizers, uh, but Buckeye Environmental, Buckeye Environmental Network certainly did. They they valued me working with volunteers, yes. being able to mobilize people, get them to you know make the phone calls, go to the protests. So yeah. yeah.
0: I think that would put you in a category that Lightcast calls green enabling jobs. These are essentially administrative jobs that support companies or support the green economy. You're essentially supporting that uh, core job, the person who's producing it. But you can't do that without people who know how to work with volunteers, do a budget, talk to your representatives. So that is a totally valid green career. And then they also, Lightcast also talks about green-enabled jobs. So essentially jobs that already existed, but they're adapting to the demand for Uh, green sort of angle. So that could be anyone from like a car manufacturer who's learning how to make their cars run cleaner or make an electric vehicle. Or it could be someone who's already doing like... um, Uh, like a laundromat that's starting to use eco-friendly soaps and detergents instead of whatever they might be used to using. Those could be green-enabled jobs, jobs that are able to adapt to that that kind of green technology and and demand for that. And then finally, they talk about what they call potential green jobs. I love Mm. this one. Essentially, they just said, like, it's nothing but possibilities. (laughs) They're talking about someone who is, like, going to do something we haven't even heard of. Or, you know, we talked about, like, that video game that we both played that was based around environmentalism. You know, I don't know that any of the people who made that video game...
1: The possibilities are endless. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You know, I don't know that anyone who made that video game was like, oh, I have a green job. But, yeah, yeah, maybe they have a potential green job. Um, real quick i mean we both are doing this this show yeah and i feel like that's also like a green enabling job we're we're bringing issues to light so i like to think so we, you've got two green enabling jobs <laughs>
1: well yeah I, and I'm, I'm very happy to to make the career change i would i would just say for anybody looking for a green career don't get discouraged um honestly do Join like a, a community board, like a watershed group or yeah. something. get involved. Um, start learning the lingo and as you go into these job interviews and make these connections, um, I think that you're going to end up in a job that you, you really like. That's, that's my experience. I hope that's other people's experience as well.
0: I hope so too. I mean, in case I've never said this on air before, I ended up here basically because I went to an environmental meetup group uh, yeah. where I didn't know anybody and then walked up to two people who seemed nice uh, <laughs> and then said, uh, can, I, can I kill some time talking to you guys? And then yeah. they said, we run a media company. <laughs> And so that's how I got my first green enabling job. I'd like to think that doing public health, there are ways that I could approach doing a a green career there. And I'd been really pushing my organization to think about environmental health disparities. But I'm still, I'm so excited to get to do this kind of work. If you've got a passion for the environment, or even just like the earth around you uh, in your local community, there there are a million ways that you can adapt the job you have, or go find a job within your skill set and serve that.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah, me too. Okay, well, Anton, thanks so much for discussing All Things Green with me today. How about you let our uh, viewers know where they can keep up to date with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you'd like to stay connected to us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at OnePlanetMedia. That's O-N-E, one. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, The All Things Green Show. You can find links to all of our sources from today's episode in our show notes.
0: We'll be back at the same time this Thursday to bring you more news. Thank you for being a part of the global sustainability movement. All right.